20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Happy Tuesday. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Pack-A-Day Podcast. Thank you so incredibly much for being here today. I want to start actually with our main topic right away. I think the episode is probably titled something to the effect of, is Matt LaFleur on the hot seat or should he be on the hot seat? We'll answer both of those questions today. But it came from a listener question in the YouTube comments of yesterday's episode. If you missed yesterday's episode, uh, about midway through, probably a little bit before that, I went through my whole explanation and diatribe as to why I believe that the time was now to move on from Joe Barry. I also believe that was the time after the Tampa Bay game. I also believed it was time in the offseason last year. I can understand why they didn't make that decision last year. I was a little bit understanding of after Tampa. I'm less understanding right now. I think there's been a lot of opportunities, but you can go back and listen to yesterday's episode and go through the full reason why. But on that episode, the comment from Tyree Travis was this, quote, Andy, you advocate for firing Joe Barry right now, yet you say it won't happen. And furthermore, you don't advocate then for the firing of Matt LaFleur, who's not doing what you think is the right thing to do right now. How do you reconcile this? So let's kind of start off by just stating the obvious. I think we're all basically at the same point and have come to the same conclusion that the Joe Barry experience needs to end. I think there's still some mixed opinions as to whether or not that should have happened now. I think obviously a lot of people wish it would have happened previously, or maybe that it never would have happened in the first place. But I think if, if you're talking about today, I think there's still a mix of whether they thought you know, some people think it should be done right now or others that just say play out the rest of the season, let him have the remainder of the year and then move on in the off season. I think the next thing that needs to be addressed is I wholeheartedly believe that Green Bay will make the determination in the off season to move on from Joe Barry and go in a different direction. I do not believe Joe Barry will be a coach or a coordinator or with the Packers organization in any capacity in 2024. I just do not see that being the case. So again, there's still some question mark as to whether or not it should be now or in the future, but I do think that decision is ultimately coming. But Matt has not come to that conclusion. He has decided that as of right now, at least as of me recording this, that Joe Barry being the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers is still best for this team. That's what he said after the Tampa game. As of right now, it has not changed, and I do not expect it to change. If it, it would have had to have been almost an immediate decision in order for them to get everything in a row in time for them to kind of go through this week and have a new defensive coordinator, a new play caller. Even in a short week like this, it would have been difficult to probably do that anyway. But if they would have come to that conclusion, it almost would have absolutely had to have happened like right after the game or first thing. Christmas morning, which again, I know optics can necessarily not necessarily be great because of that, but because that has not happened yet, I do not expect it to happen. But like I said, I do expect that to happen at some point in the offseason. But as of right now, Matt LaFleur has not made that change. And I think it's worth pointing out and it's worth stating the obvious here. Matt LaFleur has done a very poor job in hiring coordinators, in deciding to keep coordinators, in bringing new coordinators on. Offensive coordinators so far for Matt LaFleur have been Nathaniel Hackett and Adam Stenovich. Now this is the hardest one to evaluate. It's hard to evaluate Nathaniel Hackett because it was Matt LaFleur's offense 
and Matt LaFleur's play calling with a lot of Aaron Rodgers mixed in and what Aaron wanted to do. I can't imagine, I know Nathaniel Hackett got a lot of credit, especially for the red zone offense in 2020, which was unbelievable. They had a lot of weapons in 2020. They had Aaron playing at an MVP level, Devontae arguably playing almost at an MVP level. They had an epic offensive lineup until Bakhtiari's injury. They were, Aaron Jones, of course, they were a stacked team on offense. That that team should have been good in the red zone. And like I said, that the play calling was Matt LaFleur's. So much of it was what Aaron wanted to do and him making checks at the line of scrimmage. So much of that team was spamming Devontae Adams and just utilizing his superpowers. It's really difficult to evaluate what Nathaniel Hackett brought to the table. And if he was a great offensive coordinator, good offensive coordinator, bad, ugly, and different, we just don't. It's, it's almost impossible to diagnose. We do know that it has not gone well for Nathaniel Hackett pre Green Bay or post Green Bay. He got relieved of his duties, I think in kind of a crappy way in Jacksonville when he got fired as offensive coordinator there. He became the head coach of the Denver Broncos, did not make it through his first... I I think he got fired before the end of the season. Either he got fired before the end of the season or just after one year. And then he goes to the offense, uh, become the offensive coordinator in New York, probably in an effort to get Aaron Rodgers. And without Aaron, the offense has been atrocious in New York this year. How good of an offensive coordinator he was in Green Bay, again, your, your mileage may vary. You may have differing opinions. I just think it's ultimately really hard to gauge based on what Nathaniel had to work with, basically being that it was already a clash of what Matt wanted to do and Aaron wanted to do. Not necessarily, I don't mean clash in like a bad way. It was just like there was already competing interests. I'm sure getting any more ideas on the table for Nathaniel was probably pretty difficult for a good stretch of that. And then you have Adam Stenovich. It's hard to also evaluate him. And for the same reason, Matt's calling the plays. He's designing the offense. He's the one putting the game plan together for the most part. And I'm sure Adam has been integral in some of the stuff that the offense has done well this year. But good luck discerning what he's done well, what he's done poorly, and anything in between. It's just a really difficult thing to evaluate unless you're actually in the room and knowing what Adam is bringing to the table. Same thing I'll say about Nathaniel. Adam could be one of the best offensive coordinators in football, one of the worst offensive coordinators in football, or anything in between. It's just really difficult to tell. But, you know, Hackett, Stenovich, at this point, I don't think it's like, wow, I can't believe that they had those two coordinators. Like, oh, oh my goodness, that was amazing. I'm sure it's fine. I, I, again, those are two that are tough to evaluate. Those are not the ones that we want to get stuck up on, though. A defensive coordinator, he started with Mike Pettin. The first question to ask here is, was that an arranged marriage? We don't specifically know. It sounds like it was heavily encouraged for Matt to keep Mike Pettin. It sounds like Matt had Mike Pettin and on his short list of potential defensive coordinators when he pitched his you know job to Green Bay or like how he would coach the team when he was in his job interview. So I don't think it was like completely forced. It sounds like there was hope from the Packers that they would retain him. And it sounds like Matt had interest in keeping him. How that worked out, tough to say as well. But Mike, and that did not clearly work out in Green Bay. And by Matt's, you know, end of Matt's, what, second year, uh, they let him walk and they go in a different direction. And then you've got Joe Barry, which has been a unmitigated nightmare for the most part for three years and has not worked out in any capacity. We'll talk about that one more in just a moment. At special teams coordinator, hiring Sean Menenga was a huge problem. Then moving from Menenga to Mo Drayton was a huge problem. 
And yes, they've gone out and hired Rich Passaccia, who was well thought out and you know thought of in league circles and thought to be one of the better special teams coordinators in the league. That has not worked out great as of yet either. They have not had the success on special teams. Part of this has been some of the transition going from Aaron and just kind of going with a younger team this year, probably keeping a team together last year for too long. Some of the roster decisions in the early era on special teams where they basically didn't do anything special teams related. You get your long snapper, punter, and kicker, and the rest were just kind of keeping to develop younger players for offense and defense. There were some things that needed to change, but out of the Hackett, Stenovich, Pettenberry, Menenga, Drayton, Basaccia, who's your favorite coordinator of that group? It's not exactly the sexiest group of coordinators in the world, and I'm not talking about looks here. You know, hopefully Basaccia can turn it around and still be a really good coordinator in Green Bay moving forward, but there has not been a ton of success within that group. And again, I'll say it one more time, it's hard to evaluate Steno and Hackett uh, in their specific roles, but I don't think anyone's super pining for any of those, you know, outside of maybe Basaccia, who I think is still well thought of, even though he's had a couple poor seasons in Green Bay, that's just not a great group of coordinators. So that has been a specific weak spot for Matt LaFleur. That is something that goes against him as we're talking about whether or not he should be on the hot seat or not. And then I want to talk about more specifically the Joe Barry decision. The first thing that they did is they moved on from Mike Pettin in 2020. After the season, they let him walk. And there was his contract ended. So they it, it's not like they had a contract. They fired him and anything like that. But if you're going to go in a different direction, the first thing you should probably do is make sure that you have a suitable replacement in line. And if not, you should probably consider just kind of staying with what you have. Now, most people were asking for Green Bay to move on from Mike Pettin and go in a different direction at that point. There were plenty of fire Pettin chants and cheers and Twitter accounts at that point. So I'm not saying that Matt made a, a rash decision to move on from Mike Pettin. And it's not like Mike Pettin has gone on and just tore the league on fire as a defensive assistant in his time away from Green Bay. But if you had to ask me at the time or in hindsight, either one, would I rather have Mike Pettin running the defense in 2021 or Joe Barry running the defense in 2021? I probably would have just stuck with Mike Pettin. And that's what the, again, the first important thing is that you make sure that you have a suitable replacement, but they decide to let Mike Pettin go and they just decide it's time to go in another direction. So at that point, a lot of the top defensive minds had already been hired because Green Bay went to the NFC Championship. A lot of the coaching staffs were already fully hired, including the defensive coordinators. And that left Green Bay with a lower pool of candidates and they narrowed it to three finalists. Jim Leonard, Evero from who is now in Carolina, and then Joe Barry. And the first one that they went with, as you guys all know, was Jim Leonard. Now, we don't know if Matt had any capacity of actually changing Jim Leonard's mind. Maybe there was nothing that Matt could have done to get the, the front office and the powers that be to offer him more money. Maybe there was no amount of money that Leonard would have taken to take the job in Green Bay. Maybe he always would have stayed in Madison. Maybe, like I said, there's just nothing that he could have done. But losing out on his top candidate and not being able to get him in that role when that was his guy, that does not bode well for Matt LaFleur. And that kind of goes against you know what he's done from a, a head coach and just hiring some of these coordinators. And then the compounded problem is that you now have Evero and Joe Barry as your final two that you still interviewed and were looking to move forward with. 
looking back, again, at the time, I don't know of anyone that was, again, hoping for Joe Barry at that point based on his previous coaching experience. And Evero was a young up-and-coming coach that I think a lot of people were pretty excited about. And Evero's had a pretty good defensive coordinator career over the course of the past couple seasons, you know, even though he's had to go to a couple different spots. So Matt compounded the issue by going with the wrong guy and choosing, you know, Joe Barry over Evero. And again, I think that was a clear and obvious thing at the time. And it has certainly proved out that way with the benefit of hindsight. And then you also have the decision of, hey, maybe you're not super enamored with Evero or Joe Barry. You can always open, reopen the process and bring in a new group of candidates and maybe try to find somebody different. That's always a possibility as well. And instead, it felt like they just settled on Joe Barry. And it's felt that way from day one. It felt that way in year one, year two, year three, and certainly when he's had opportunities to, to sort of right that ship over the course of the past couple seasons. The truth of the matter is Joe Barry was always a mistake. It was a mistake from the time that they hired him. I can understand why obviously you're going to give him a second year. It was a mistake to keep him past his second year. It did not work out over those, those first two seasons. I understand it and what I was mentioning earlier as to why they move him into year three, because if you look at the end of year two, there were at least signs. And arguably, and I, I said this in the offseason, arguably two things. One, it was the defense that actually allowed Green Bay to go on that run to try to get in the playoffs at the end of the year. And two, you were entering this new phase of Packers football where everything was going to have to be evaluated in 2023 anyway. So you, you might as well add Joe Barry to that list. You were going to have to evaluate Matt LaFleur's offense without Aaron Rodgers. You were going to have to evaluate Joe Barry. You were going to have to evaluate Jordan Love. Like this whole season was an evaluation season. So, all right, keeping him for one more year when he's under contract to see if maybe those last four games, last five games, whatever it was of 2022 were an indicator of what maybe was going to come in 2023. Okay. Would I have done that? No, I would have gone in a different direction. And they missed on an opportunity to go with maybe a Brian Flores or a handful of other defensive coordinator candidates that were hired this past year. And instead, again, they stayed status quo and that was a mistake. So this has been an issue since day one of hiring Joe Barry. It was a mistake at the time. There's been multiple exit points since then. They haven't taken any of those, not after Tampa, not after this game. And this has been a major issue and this is something that does fall under Matt LaFleur's purview and has been a mistake for Matt LaFleur. And the next thing I'll say is Matt LaFleur has his other flaws as well. If you're trying to build a case against Matt LaFleur and say, hey, I don't think he's the guy. I think you need to go in another direction. The floundering defense under him, whether it be under Pettin or Joe Barry, is probably 1A that you're pointing to. The floundering special teams, whether it be under Menenga or Drayton or you know, Basashia, whomever, is probably 1B that you're pointing to. But you can make an argument, and Mike Wall and I have talked about this on numerous occasions. There have been plenty of times where this team has lacked basic fundamentals. Blocking has been an issue, uh, and certainly tackling has been an issue for seasons now. Like there are things that you see where it's a it, it's an issue kind of week in and week out, and sometimes you just don't see the improvement. I think tackling is such an, a perfect example of this, where it's been an issue for so long, different players have been in the room, and you can't get it fixed. That ultimately falls on the head coach at the end of the day. 
and you need you know some of that attention to detail, that coaching, and seeing guys get better through the course of your era as a head coach in Green Bay. Aaron Jones's usage throughout Matt Lafleur's era, sporadic play calling. Like what I mean by that is there are times where the play calling is impeccable. You see him put a game plan together, and you're like, oh my goodness, that was art. That was beautiful to watch. There's other times where things just look so stagnant and it doesn't even look like the same offense. It almost looks like they overthink things from time to time. This is the first time where Green Bay could have back-to-back losing seasons. That's a possibility if Green Bay doesn't win these final two games. Um, I think there's an issue with holding players accountable and coaches accountable, not moving on from Joe Barry and a couple different opportunities to do so is a great example of that. And I'm sure there's a variety of other things that you guys probably have off the top of your head that I'm potentially missing as well. Uh, there's definitely some in-game decisions, some challenges that do not go his way. There are things that he needs to work on. But what I will ultimately tell you is that number one, to answer the crux of this question, is that Matt LaFleur is not on the hot seat, not even remotely. And what I will answer number two with is, should he be on the hot seat? The answer is no not even remotely. So to go back to the initial question, how do I reconcile that? Let's go through Matt LaFleur's career in Green Bay, but I have one lead pipe lock golden reason as to why you do not move on from Matt LaFleur. But let me paint the rest of the picture first and I'll get to that. The first thing is he's had five seasons in Green Bay. The first season, they overachieved in a huge way, going 13-3 and and going to the NFC Championship game. That was never expected from that team. He got Aaron playing back on the right path, and it was a it was fun to watch that Packers team again. Now, they added in some big free agents, so I'm not saying it was just Matt, but that went from a team that fired its previous head coach and was not feeling the same at all to a 13-win NFC Championship game team. What's going on, Packer fans? It is time that you make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. If you guys know anything about me whatsoever, you know that I love pizza, that every time the Packers win, I have a victory pizza. And what you should also know is that victory pizza is from Little Caesars. I This is no joke. Little Caesars, by far and away, my favorite pizza. What you can do is you can order online during their Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday, and then you can get ready for football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. For me, I have the same order every single time. I'm going with their hot and ready pizza, pepperoni, no questions about it, and more importantly than anything else, always, 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 always get the crazy bread. It is in my opinion, the best food that you can get on the market. I'm not joking. I love crazy bread. Love, love, love crazy bread. Get it every single time. You win when you get crazy bread. And speaking of winning, literally everyone scores with convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the game, and always get your victory pizza from Little Caesars. You won't regret it. Pizza, pizza. When you have a 365 day a year podcast, you need to have the energy and the health to be able to provide that content every single day of the year. When I'm not feeling the best, whether that be due to illness, gut health, or low energy, it's hard to focus and it's hard to be efficient with my work. Everything is just slower and everything becomes such a grind. That's why I started drinking AG1 daily. When I started drinking AG1, I could legitimately feel a difference in my energy and I noticed I was becoming sick far less often. 
That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. I recommend AG1 to all my family and friends because AG1 has a team of doctors and scientists and because it is formulated based on the latest science while maintaining their high quality standards. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. This year, our family had a few different ways that we did gifts for the holidays. We did some traditional presents, we donated to a variety of charities, and we planned a fun trip for the entire family. Of course, I may have snuck a gift for myself in there during the process as well, but whether or not your family gives gifts during the holidays, you still get to define how you give to yourself. A great way to do that is by giving yourself the gift of therapy. Therapy is powerful. It works and strives to make us the best versions of ourselves and work out the kinks of the everyday daily grind that can continue to beat us down. And during the holiday season, it's really easy to become unaligned with all the regular daily stress, plus the rigors and anxiety that come with the holiday season. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. My favorite part about BetterHelp is that it's entirely online, which makes things so incredibly convenient, and that it's flexible and can be suited to your own unique schedule. In this season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash packaday. That team had its flaws, but that team massively overachieved. That's a win for Matt LaFleur. In year two, they go 13 and three. They go to the NFC Championship game again, have a game at home against Tampa Bay. It's a COVID season. It's a weird year. The Bakhtiari injury was massive, and I think you can point to a lot of the issues on defense, the Kevin King play in that game. You've got Aaron Jones that fumbles in that game. They're this close to probably getting to and maybe even winning a Super Bowl. And I would still, I know that at the end of the day, you're paid to win Super Bowls when you're the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. It's tough to say that that's a bad season by Matt LaFleur. And Aaron Rodgers, MVP, we can go on and on. That's, that's a good year from Matt. Year three, 13 and four. They lose in the divisional round. Special teams lost them that game. Now the offense was not good in that one either. You've got a weirdo Mercedes Lewis fumble. You've got some weather conditions, but a disappointing end to the year. No question about it. That team was talented enough to make a further run into the playoffs last year. And there were certainly some things that Matt got wrong, but 13 and four, divisional round loss. You can argue disappointing. But if 13 and four in a divisional round exit is your most disappointing season through three years, you're probably still doing a pretty good job. And we can argue that hey, you've got Aaron Rodgers. Like that's the expectation. Okay. But still, it doesn't always go that way. And I think, I don't think there's anyone after three years that's saying, hey, this isn't a really good head coach and this is going to be the head coach for a while. Then you get to year four, eight and nine, first losing record, disappointing season. I don't think there's too many ways around that. But I do think if you use the benefit of hindsight, that team just felt broken. It didn't feel right. And some of that was Matt and coaching. That's fair. I, the, the whole Aaron dynamic and Aaron relationship, Aaron did not play well last year at all. I mean, nothing like any of his seasons in Green Bay. 
it was by far and away. Now we can again point to the rib, the thumb, whatever you want to point to. That was nothing like normal Aaron Rodgers that season. They move on from Devontae Adams. That's not a Matt LaFleur decision. You're starting to integrate some youth, but also bringing back a ton of veterans. It it just, the pieces never fit together. And I think if you look back at it, honestly, you can say, well, maybe it shouldn't have been eight and nine, probably should have been more of a 10 and six. That was not a team that was going to go make a Super Bowl run. They probably were a year late in rebuilding. I can understand why they did that. I don't think eight and nine is this crazy, awful mark on on Matt's resume. Like maybe it felt at the time. I, I just, I think that the fact that they got through that season one game away from the playoffs, it's not ideal. I get it. I'm not, I'm not here to convince you that that was actually a good season. It, it wasn't, but I think based on where the roster was and just based on where, like, like I said, the pieces not fitting together, that team just needing an influx of talent. I don't, I don't think that that's an egregious season going eight and nine in that year, but definitely a disappointment. And so far they are seven and eight this year in year five, where everyone's expectation, like on the high end of like what, what to expect from this team was like eight wins. And some were saying nine or 10. Yes, but that was an aggressive, you know, prediction and they could still get to nine wins. That's within the realm of possibility. Now, if they lose the final two to Minnesota and Chicago, seven and 10 is slightly disappointing, but not out of the realm. Like I think everyone was saying like somewhere between seven and nine wins for this team. And that's where they're going to be. The low end is seven. The high end is nine, probably ends at eight, maybe nine. We'll see, but they can still get in the playoffs this year as well. You have one year out of five that has been a disappointment so far. You could point this year to the easier schedule and say, hey, there's games they should have won and they actually should be a couple games better than they are right now. Okay, that's fine. But I have a hard time pointing to this season if you look at expectations prior to the season and saying seven and eight so far through 15 games is a disappointment for this team. I think that's about right on par and right what we expected going into the year. Overall, if you're looking at five seasons, overachieved massively in year one, 13 and 3 NFC Championship game year 2, 13 and 4 playoffs in year 3, 8 and 9 disappointing in year 4, 7 and 8 right on target so far in year 5. That's not a resume of a coach that you fire in the NFL. This team has never quit on Matt regardless of what adversity they have faced, losing four in a row this year, losing I think 7 out of 8 last year, they still made the push. They've been in the playoff hunt in every single season under Matt. And they could, if they win their next two and get a little bit of help, they could be in the playoffs in four out of five years with the only only year that they missed it because they lost in the final week of the season with an opportunity to go to the playoffs. That's that's a pretty good stretch of coaching from any coach in the NFL period with any roster. That's That's a good stretch. He's a smart offensive mind. I truly believe that. He's analytically driven. I love that about him. Like he, he makes decisions a lot based on analytics. And Again, I don't think there's been this massive underachiever, underachievement in any one specific season. If you want to point to last year again, that, that's fine. I, I understand it. I get it. I just wouldn't with the benefit of hindsight, knowing what we know now about some of the players on that roster and just at a point where they, like I said, they probably needed to move on a year earlier. But here's the, the smoking gun. Here's the silver bullet. Here's everything that you need to know. The number one reason that Matt is not on the hot seat nor should he be on the hot seat, is because of Jordan Love. And what I mean by that is this offense is progressing in a very beautiful way. 
with young quarterback, young receivers, really a lot of young offensive linemen still, young tight ends. Running back's the only position where you're going to have to probably move on um, at some point from a couple of these players and start getting younger. But this this is a young offense that's playing really good football right now. But out, even outside of that, which is, which is Matt's biggest like area, by the way, that's his area of expertise. Now, yes, it command the entire team, and we've already gone over. There's things that he needs to improve upon, but his best area of expertise is offense. And the biggest thing here is you can't do that to Jordan at this point. Jordan is just getting his his feet his his feet under him, literally and figuratively, and becoming what could potentially be a big time quarterback in this league. The very last thing that you would want to do to Jordan right now is put a new offense in front of him, put a new coach, a new coordinator, uh, like I said, a new playbook, a new design that that would take all these years of developing Jordan and just undercut it out. And I'm not saying he couldn't learn. I'm not saying he couldn't get better, but you are this close to potentially taking a significant, significant step with Jordan as being a big time QB in this league with just a tweak or two. And if you give him another year in this offense, the hope is that it gets even better. And we've seen it grow throughout the course of this year. The worst thing for this franchise right now, in my opinion, would be taking Matt away from Jordan and making him do something different, something new, just when he's starting to gain a level of comfortability in the NFL with this offense, with this team, with this coach. That is a recipe for disaster. That's how bad teams get bad. So yes, there are 1 million percent things that Matt has not done perfectly. That's 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 true. There are things that he absolutely needs to work on, but in no way can you take him away from Jordan Love at this point. And you need to continue the progress for Jordan that Matt and this offense have made together. Hopefully you can keep Tom Clements there as well. We'll see if that happens in this offseason. But I think the more consistency that you can keep on offense around Jordan, the better. So then that begs the question, where do you go from here? The first thing is you continue your offensive success. That has to be the baseline for everything that you're doing. The offense cannot take a step back. It needs to continue to take steps forward. You're hoping in another year with Dobbs and Watson and you know Wicks and Reed, Musgrave, Kraft, Bo Melton, you know all of these guys, Malik Heath, that this offense continues to improve. And especially with Jordan in year two as a designated starter, that offense should continue to get better. We're seeing it this year. It should carry over into next year as well. That starts with Matt LaFleur staying in his position, being the head coach, being the play caller, being the offensive designer. That's a good thing. That is a very good thing for Green Bay right now. Number two, completely rehaul the defense. Matt can do that while still being head coach, and he will do that while still being head coach. I do not have concerns over that. Yes, I'm disappointed it didn't come sooner. Yes, I'm disappointed that of all the exit points that they've had with Joe and that they had other opportunities to get different coordinators, that they have not done that. But I do believe that they will rehaul this defense in the offseason, players, coaches, coordinators, scheme, and start it in a hopefully brand new direction starting next season. And that's exactly what this team needs. And then number three is you need to continue to review the special teams. I You're, I think, definitely going to have Rich Basaccia back unless for some crazy reason he gets a head coaching job and you need to take a jump in year three. And that needs to be Rich's job. Like he has to earn that paycheck, that assistant head coach's job. 
If he doesn't, then it needs to be, you know, there needs to be an ultimatum there too. But I wholeheartedly believe Matt LaFleur with a good defensive coordinator with Rich Basaccia going into 2025 gives you your best opportunity to you know have success and succeed over the course of the next handful of seasons. Now, there's no guarantee they can find that defensive coordinator. There's also no guarantee that if you're hoping for a new head coach, that they're going to hire somebody that there are a lot of bad head coaches in the NFL. And while Matt is not perfect, no coach is. There's frustration right now in Dallas with Matt or with Mike McCarthy. There's frustration in Philadelphia. Bill Belichick is probably going to be gone from New England, the greatest coach maybe to ever live. Uh, Kansas City and Andy Reid, there are questions from Kansas City fans right now for that offense. McDermott in Buffalo, things have been on the upswing, but there were calls for his job all throughout this season. There's a, you know, a precious few coaches that are in a list of like, hey, we really love this guy. John Harbaugh right now in Baltimore, and there have been some sticky moments. Even Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh right now, there's questions as to whether or not he'll be back. And he's like the longstanding coach in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan, even though despite the loss in Baltimore, I think there's a lot of real positivity still around him. Sean McVay's having a really good year, but there there are just not very many coaches that have great approval ratings. Like That's just the state of the NFL. And there's no guarantee that when Green Bay brings somebody new in, that you're going to get somebody that will make it better. And especially with the way Jordan is playing right now, I just think that is a massive mistake waiting to happen. Matt needs to get better. He needs to improve. He needs to absolutely crush this defensive coordinator hire and the entire defensive coaching staff. This is a can't miss decision this offseason, meaning A, you have to move on from Joe and B, you have to get that hire right. We've went through the entire list of coordinators in Green Bay. It's not great. His next hire has to be great. He has to crush it. He has to get it right. And if not, wholeheartedly, that probably will go down as the, the thing that breaks Matt LaFleur's tenure in Green Bay. If he hires another bad coordinator and this defense just cannot get right, that'll do it. Like They're, they're just probably never going to be able to overcome that at some point. You've got to build a defense and you've got to build a special teams that can go along with this offense. As good as Jordan is, I don't think you can just expect him to all of a sudden become an MVP and carry this team with a mediocre or bad defense and special teams. I don't think they're ever going to be that good to overcome that. Few quarterbacks and few teams ever are. You have to pair good offense with defense and special teams. It has to be complimentary at some point or you're not winning the big one. So if Matt doesn't get this right, that's going to ultimately probably be his demise. But I think you have to give him the opportunity one more time to get this right because of where things are headed with his main area of focus. And that is at offense and with his quarterback of the future and being Matt LaFleur or being Jordan Love, excuse me. Uh, the expectation should be a winning season in 2024. I do believe that with a better defense and a better special teams. And Matt needs to find a way to deliver on that. I'm not saying that he should go into next season with this pristine, perfect standing and that there's no questions to be asked. I'm not saying that at all. The expectation should be a winning year, continued improvement on offense, and a rapid improvement on defense and special teams. That needs to be the expectation in 2024. And Matt and Brian and Russ Ball, they all need to work on that together to make sure that this franchise is in a position where they can make that jump. Matt's ultimately responsible for the defense. He needs to understand that this is a absolute must crush hire for him. 
And he also has to make sure that he is continuing to get better at all those things that we talked about earlier that have been a little bit of a weak spot at time for him, at times for him. But the biggest one, in my opinion, that he's gotten wrong or that he's had issues with is his ability to hire coordinators. And now he's going to have one more chance to do that this offseason. Like I said, I'll say it one more time. He has to get it right. Gets one more chance to fix it. And if not, it will ultimately probably be the thing that does eventually cost him his job. All right, that's my main topic for today. A couple other quick notes really quick. Uh, 49ers lose on Monday. That's actually extremely helpful for Green Bay if you're still on the playoff bandwagon. The 49ers play the Rams in week 18. Had 49ers wrapped everything up at that point, they probably don't have much to play for. They maybe bench their starters and the Rams probably get an easy win. If, If Green Bay beats the Vikings and beats the Bears and the 49ers beat the Rams in week 18, the Packers have a 98% chance to make the playoffs per the New York Times simulator. So it's not 100%. It's still not perfect, but two wins by Green Bay and that 49ers win over the Rams in the final week of the season, that almost assuredly gets you there, 98% chance. That's a big change where, again, if, if San Francisco had nothing to play for in that game, which they very well might not have had they beat Baltimore, it probably just means a Rams win. And it goes, it drops down even with two wins for Green Bay, more to like the 60% range. So that was a big result for Green Bay. Meanwhile, I, I talked about yesterday, Minnesota and some of their injuries. The initial outlook on TJ Hawkinson is not good per Jeremy Fowler. It looks like he almost certainly is going to be out this week. DJ Wanham is out for the year. Clearly he'll be out this week. Makai Blackman, who left with a shoulder injury, we don't know a updated status yet, but he took himself out of the game because he could no longer play. We just went through the experience with Jair. We know those shoulder injuries could linger. He could be out for Minnesota. And then Jordan Addison diagnosed with a ankle sprain. He was doing a MRI on Monday. We'll see how that comes out. It sounds like he is week to week. There have been some reports that make it seem like he could be unlikely to play, but that's going to be probably the big one to keep an eye on. But Green Bay could end up playing Minnesota with no Kirk Cousins, no TJ Hawkinson, no Jordan Addison, of course, DJ Wanham. This is, this is a beat up Minnesota team right now. Now Green Bay is too. It's not to say that I will, I'll start by saying I would much rather this game just be a completely healthy Minnesota versus a completely healthy Green Bay. That'd be great. But right now you are fighting for a playoff spot and Minnesota could be missing some key pieces in this particular game. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wayne, John Wilde, Shea Dad, Arnoldo Espinosa, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Lori Lord, Donald Lee, Baby QB, and MB1023. So just to recap really quick, to answer the, the question I asked at the beginning, all three of them, is Matt LaFleur on the hot seat? No. Should he be on the hot seat? Absolutely not. And how do I reconcile those things of saying, hey, it, Joe Barry should be fired and Matt's not doing it, so that falls on Matt? Yes, it does. And it's a mistake in my opinion, but I don't think it's a catastrophic mistake at this point. It will be if he doesn't do it in the offseason or if he does it in the offseason and doesn't hire the right defensive coordinator. That probably will be a catastrophic mistake down the line. Thank you guys. Appreciate you as always. I will see you tomorrow, but until next time, go Pack Go. 